Hello, and welcome to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media. This is episode 59, so it's the Framber Valdez episode of the show. And appropriately enough, we have a former Astros coach with us for this one. Baseball season is just underway, so our guest is Carlos Munoz, who was the Astros bullpen catcher for nine years from 2009 to 2017, the year they won the World Series. He's also been a scout and instructor, and he just finished up with Team USA at the World Baseball Classic as a coach and bullpen catcher. Carlos and I will talk about his path from Venezuela through a media job to the Astros, what a bullpen catcher does, how he likes to use data and catcher framing metrics, what goes into being a good pitch framer, how analysts can communicate better with players and coaches, how coaches can better work with data, how learning programming languages helped him as a coach, we'll talk about baseball in Venezuela, and maybe most importantly, his favorite Venezuelan food. And then producer Sergio De La Esprilla will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with former Astros bullpen catcher and Team USA coach Carlos Munoz. We're joined now on expected value by Carlos Munoz, longtime MLB bullpen catcher, catching coach, bullpen catcher for Team USA at this World Baseball Classic that just wrapped up. Uh, lifelong baseball participant and uh, Carlos we're going to start with that team USA experience because I'm sure that was different than anything uh, you've ever gone through a lot of us have ever gotten to watch what was that experience like for you that whole thing uh thank you for having me Paul um for me it was a game seven every day mm-hmm. you know uh, every pitch count every swing count every bullpen uh uh move counted to uh from the first inning all the way to the end it was a nerve-wracking game i mean uh the mexico the team mexico game that we had and the venezuela uh game i mean it was so exciting and uh if you're not ready mentally i mean i think it's gonna be hard on you because it's a lot of pressure from fans from media even from even from family even from friends you know but I mean, it was it was. I will do it again. Yeah. Uh, sadly, it's every three years. Uh-huh. I will I will do it uh, every year. Why not every two years? But we'll see what happens in the future. All right. Let's start. I want to start kind of almost at the beginning for you, just to provide background for everyone on, on who you are, what you do. From Venezuela, what was your general path? Just from Venezuela, you have media experience before you kind of got into the on the field baseball thing. What was your general path from Venezuela through the media to where you are today? Yeah, I came to I came to the states uh, like 30, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm U.S. citizens. I've been U.S. citizens uh, since two thousand ten, and back then when I was in college, I got in a situation that I'm like, man, I want to play baseball, but at the same time, I need to help my family. Right. You know, because we didn't have that income. And then uh, back then I was an international student. Uh, when it was time for me to move on to a four-year school, I couldn't afford it because uh, for international students, it's pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a sponsor, the sponsor is not going to pay for that. So I decided to go and do a internship in, in Telemundo, Houston. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something. I need to do something. So I decided to go there. And then seven months later, they offered me a contract. Hmm. They offered me 25 grand a year. I'm like, oh my God, I'm rich. That was back <laughs> in, in 2000. Mm-hmm. And then I did Telemundo for seven years. Then while I was doing Telemundo, I, uh, I met so many people in the Astros organization, people in the front office and people on the field. And then this guy, he was the son of one of our photographer in Telemundo. And then I asked him, dude, uh, do you guys need some, I don't know, some type of help out there? Like, you mean scouting? Uh, yeah, why not? Scouting? Yeah, I will do it. Okay, I'm going to put you in contact with our area scout. So three, four days later, they offered me, you know, the associate scout, hmm. an associate scout position. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll do it. How much am I going to make? No, nothing. You don't make anything. Just <laughs> go around. He's going to send you to these high school games, two, three games per day. I'm like, okay, I, I think I can do it. Well, 
during that period of time, four or five years, I found out that a guy that I used to throw batting practice for the for the Astros, um, he got uh, involved in this motorcycle accident. So I called one of the trainers and I asked him, hey, um, Rohan, are you, are you guys are going to fill that position or what you guys are going to do? Oh, you want to do it? Yeah, I want to do it. Okay, let me talk to Sean Berry. Sean Berry was the hitting coach yeah. back then for the Astros. So he told me, give me a couple of weeks. I'll call you back. I'm like, come on, dude, a couple of weeks. I mean, just never <laughs> mind. The guy called me two, two minutes later. He's like, hey, Sean Berry said, if you want that position, it's yours. I was doing new, newspaper back uh, at that moment. I'm like, really? Yeah. Okay, tell him I'll, I'll take it. Dude, you're going to make 35 bucks a day. After taxes, like 28. I'll do it. <laughs> Why do you want to do it for, for that money? Because I don't know if I'm going to have that this opportunity again in the future. I'll do it. I'll, I'll find out. I mean, I'll do I'll do another things around like lessons and all that. So I did a four or five years throwing body practice for the Astros. And then after that time, they offered me a... Uh, open catching position so i did that for four or five more years until 2017. nice what does a what does a bullpen get, catcher do i mean we know what a catcher does and you're catching in the bullpen what's the general role of the bullpen catcher on a day-to-day -day basis okay i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you what i did with the with the uh with the team usa mm -hmm. um i go to the ballpark get my lunch and then I ask around, well, the pitching coach, I will ask the pitching coach or bullpen coach who's pitching, who's starting that day. So I went to the guy gets there. The pitcher gets there because I'm the one I'm going to play catch with him. It could be 90 feet, could be 120, could be long toss all the way to the center field wall. And then, um, but before that, before the playing catch, um, I would talk to the bench coach or the or, or, or the third base coach, in this case Dino Evo, the third base coach for the Dodgers. And then okay, today we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do some ground balls first, and then after ground balls for like ten minutes, we're gonna do some BP. So I would help him around, like putting baseball here, putting baseball there, you know. And after that, I would play some catch with the bullpen guys, do some flat grounds, do do some long toss, flat grounds again, catching some bullpens. And then when it's time for BP, I will check, you know, on the outfield for the for the team. Now, when the like 30 minutes before game time, I will wait for the pitcher down the line and our bullpen to pick, to play catch with them. You know, but before that, around like 2, 2 30, 3 o'clock, I will get in touch with the, the starting pitcher. I will ask him, hey, what time are you gonna go to the bullpen real quick? Uh what time the game? 707. I'll be there by 640. Okay, I'll be there by 635. Mm -hmm. And be ready for you. Play catch with him, and I will give him. After he's done, he will go inside the bullpen and get ready with the starting catcher. As a catcher, catching coach, how do you use data? I mean, there's obviously tons of data out there. Hitters, pitchers, catchers can all use it differently. As a catcher, how do you, broadly speaking, how do you use data to to prep pitchers and such? Well, with um. Honestly, I was not part of the uh, the uh, the analytic meeting with the mm -hmm. Team USA, but mostly they they would go uh, over each uh, player from the other team. Okay, how are we gonna pitch this guy? How are we gonna pitch this other guy? We have video. We have this video of these guys striking out on this pitch, and then uh, everybody will be there, like the starting catcher. Uh, the starting pitcher, bullpen coach, uh, pitching coach, the two guys we have from from um, this MLB organization, from the Dodgers and Pirates, and head coach, manager, mm -hmm. bench coach, and then they will go after every 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 single every single guy. Something that really caught my attention um, before those meetings was uh, the way Kyle Higashioka, the catcher for the Yankees, he mm -hmm. will get there because there was like two buses, one like one thirty for the staff and two thirty for the players. He will get an our bus. And then as soon as he will get in, in the ballpark, he will pull up his laptop and then go after every single play, you know, helping the team. He he didn't play that much, but he 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 helped us in that in that area. You know, it was it was it was impressive. It was amazing how was he was uh, communicating with uh, the the bullpen guys in this case the reliever the relievers, the the data and the information he had on every single player on his computer. And 
broadly speaking, I'm not trying to like steal state secrets or anything. What are a few of the things that you're looking at when you're scouting the opposing hitters? What kind of tendencies or types of things are you looking at from a catching standpoint? Well, uh, I tend to, me as a catcher or catching coach, uh, and the youth, and uh, as a youth coach as well, I will tell the, the, the catchers uh, to start reading tendencies on the batter, body mm-hmm. language, like breaking ball. You go for breaking ball, and then you see some, uh, the batter doing like this move, like back, like, oh my God, I'm going to get hit. Right. Call again the breaking ball. Now you throw again the breaking ball, you call the breaking ball again. Now it's 0 2. Why are you going to call for a fastball down the middle and then the guy is going to hit the ball in the gap? You know, you got to mm-hmm. be smarter than that. This, you know, they start reading tendency. The same with the picture. If you see, if you see somebody language like negative body language, like fastball inside and the guy's like, and then that's a strike. Okay, go again, throw two more of those. Why are you going to throw a change up? Mm-hmm. He's looking for something for something else. It's all about tendencies. Like the batter, he gets close to the home play or he stays away from the home play or he goes, uh, screw up. Uh, he moves up like closer, like, you know, forward to the pitcher. So those are type of tendencies that I tend to tell this catcher. It's not just fastball and then fastball and breaking ball, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know you're into the framing metrics that we and other places have. How do you use those? I mean, obviously you can see, you know, when a catcher is getting or maybe losing strikes, uh, certain pitch types. How do you go about taking those those numbers and applying them to, you know, making a catcher better? Well, um, I will I will sit down with the catcher after a game the next day, and then I will tell him, you know what, on inside pitch, low inside fastballs, looks like you were having trouble, and then here's uh, here. I have the number here that is gonna it's backing up my my what I'm telling you. You know the the zone 17. The zone 17 is the one that it like it's very low, mm-hmm. like below your uh, I will say left knee. And I mean, if you don't know how to catch that fastball right there, 95 plus, you're gonna get your thumb broken, you know, or your hand is gonna be so it's more like okay, see, you were having trouble yesterday on on that on that zone, and also on the middle, I will say that's zone 18. Let's do some work on that. Let's try to get underneath the ball today. So, because we're trying to get strikes. If you can get like five, six, seven strikes tonight on that zone, it's going to help us a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, up, up right here in the middle, the guys can deal with that. He, they can do a good job. But we, when it comes to like bottom pitches, they tend to get on top of the ball and then they catch the ball, and then they try to bring the ball, the 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 mid up, and it's too late. They're not gonna fool anybody, you know. They wanna they wanna mm-hmm. they wanna do it and look natural doing that. So this is so it sounds like you're taking you're taking the data, and the video, and kind of translating that into catching technique. Is that fair? You say you're, you're good at this. Numbers don't don't look as good here. How can we make that better from a technique or a coaching standpoint? Yeah, I will say so. Yeah, I mean, it's like okay, let's 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 uh, let's let's see the 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 numbers. Let's see what you got yesterday, and now let's watch the video. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how you trying to catch this ball on zone seventeen. It could be the angle, it could be the the position the position on your feet. Because for me personally, every time everything start from your feet up, or mm-hmm. it could be. Uh, the stance that you're using, the left knee down or right knee down. I'm not. I'm not against. I'm not against uh, against those stances. But if you wanna, if you wanna employ those stances, okay, let's try to be more natural and try to steal those pitches in the bottom of of the zone. And and let's mm-hmm. practice more those um, that area. So what's something? So I, if I'm watching a game and I can see a catcher mm-hmm. is or isn't getting strikes, you know, I can see that a lot. He's getting it because he's moving the ball into the zone. You know, very simply. What I don't know well is like what's an example of the technique to help do that better, I guess. And you, and you mentioned a couple of the things here with the angle and what else. What's something like we can watch at home that would maybe go into being a good framer or what, what's a technique type of thing that we can keep an eye out for? Well, um, in that situation, I will, I will, if you don't, if you're not, if you're not getting strikes, enough strikes from the, from, from, from this strike, from, from, mm-hmm. from the, from the, from the umpire, 
It could be the, the the umpire, the position of the umpire. You can talk to the umpire. Have you seen the? Have you seen? Uh, do you have a good view from 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 over my right shoulder, from mm. my left shoulder? I will uh, I will I will I will uh, start like uh, a communication with the umpire. Mm -hmm. You know, because the umpire can see can see the track, can see the can track the pitch, but sometimes he cannot see where you where, where you catching that ball. You know, yeah. like I'm talking about still right now. I'm talking again. The, the bottom pitches, you know? Mm -hmm. So in that situation, okay, you you want to catch that ball and bring it up? Okay, a strike or no strike? Okay, uh, throw the ball back. Uh, do you see that catch? Am I am I middle of your way? You want me to move more this side or that side? Because sometimes, sometimes it's not it's not the catcher. Sometimes it's even the, the, mm -hmm. the, the umpire. Yeah. It's either the umpire or it could be a my trout. You know, it might try mm -hmm. match might try in your pitcher and your double A pitcher, you know, or it could be Otani versus your triple A pitcher pitcher that you called up yesterday, you know, they're gonna give more preference right. to to you know to these batters than your pitcher in most mm -hmm. situations. Are how uh how receptive are umpires to those questions or suggestions from catchers? Because I mean we know some umpires are thin skinned, some are not. Uh, so how does that work with a catcher saying, Hey, do, you know, do I need to move a little bit or whatever it is? How do those, how does those conversations go? Well, it depends on the guy. It could be a good yeah. guy. It could be a, a, I don't know, a bad guy. I will say bad guy. Like, yeah, like not the easiest had, to work with. Yeah. Like, like, uh, last summer I was coaching these, uh, Polish team and then, I've seen my catcher and he's not moving the glove. He's not moving his mic towards the middle. He's catching mm -hmm. the ball and he's like being lazy. Then Michael, come here. What's going on back there? Well, the umpire told me to stop to stop framing the ball. He's not gonna give me anything. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, you keep doing your job because you don't know who's watching behind the plate. You don't know who's in the stands watching you. Right. Okay. If he's keep, if he keeps do if he keeps telling you that, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to him. But you keep doing your job, and he's gonna do his job. Right, you look lazy, you know. Yeah, but yeah. he told me to stop moving my mid towards the, you know, like framing and all that because it's not he's not his game. I'm like, I know, but do your job. I'll talk to him. You know, mm. some other guys they're like receptive. They they they're good communicators throughout the game with the kids and all that with the players. But some other guys are like, I don't know, they're probably having bad days. Yeah. Uh, aside from framing, which you know, most teams have framing <laughs> metrics, we have framing metrics, etc. Uh, what other sort of data are you looking at from a catching standpoint to see how a guy's doing? To see how a guy's doing, uh, I will say the SL plus. Mm -hmm. You know, the LL plus is more like in the, it's more like an individual individual uh, metric for the catchers. Right. You know? Basically, putting uh, the framing on a zero to one hundred scale. So it's exactly. not just volume, but you get a rate stat as well mm -hmm. exactly i will i will consider that that metric as well mm -hmm. um like last season i was using more like the slaa the raw numbers know? yeah yeah and then i was told by a um by catch a major league catching coach he dm me and he like he goes dude we use true media here i like your job you're doing great why don't you use the SL plus because that's more like, you know, individual, like mm -hmm. how this, how, how this catcher is doing comparison with the, with the Milwaukee Bruce catcher. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? You, you're right. Yeah. I'm going to start doing that tomorrow, you know? And, uh, and I will consider that again this year if I have the opportunity. Yeah. yeah there's there's yeah. definitely use cases, I think for both, you know, sometimes you want the raw mm -hmm. number, like I think maybe in a single game, that raw number can be better because you just want to see, you know, he got me five strikes or something like you said. And um, depends. And I think it depends on the organization too, because mm -hmm. some guys they use these and and other people use these other metric or these guys, yeah. you know, yep. it depends on, you know. Yeah. And then you get over a season, you know, and the guys who have the highest raw number are often just the guys who caught a lot, but some you get the race stat and you get, you know, guys who didn't catch as many innings or, or pitches who pop higher up the charts. Uh, I'm curious how, what do you think? So automated balls and strikes may be coming. You know, they're using the minors. Who knows if it'll make it to the majors? But how do you think that will affect catchers 
or does affect catchers now in the minors or could affect because obviously the framing element at the very least changes if not you know, is drastically reduced how do you think the automated balls and strikes the robot umps would affect catchers there hmm. i mean personally i don't like it yeah you know personally i mean you, you're gonna have two 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 sides of fans mm -hmm. you're gonna have the guys that they don't like it and some fans that they're gonna they, they want the call right away you know but personally i mean hopefully 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 i don't i don't i don't want that that to happen i don't know if they're doing this to call more like more attention to get more more ratings and stuff but i don't think it's necessary to to use to use that you know mm -hmm. yeah that's what that, that's what i have you know yep i have more but i don't want to you know <laughs> you don't want to get yeah. in trouble yet at least right yeah i mean also, i mean yeah understood no understood yeah. uh some kind of general data usage uh, type of questions you said you started as a scout um which you know there's this old school there's this mindset of traditional kind of pitting old school scouts against new school data people which you know is not always that clean and simple but i guess i'm just curious how have you seen from what you know of the scouting world you know, when you got into it, you know, 10 plus years ago to where it is now, how have you seen data used differently by teams in, in that scouting world than it was back in the day? Now, I think I support that. I really mm -hmm. like that because if you're going to invest on this guy, you're going to invest four or five million dollars. I want to see what I have mm -hmm. and comparing with in comparing with Paul Goldsmith when he was 17 or 18 right. years old. You know, I support mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, honestly, I didn't when I was uh doing scouting work for the Astros. I mean, and this the area scout, he used to call me, okay, how fast is he throwing? Oh, he's 95. And then tailing, he got some, yeah, oh yeah, he got plenty of tailing. I mean, he's cutting a lot and doing, okay, I'll call you back later. That's it. You know, now I think, I don't think I've seen it. Mm -hmm. I've seen guys with an electronic camera and on, you know, on games and, and recording and taking, you know, chart, writing numbers. I mean, now it's getting, it's getting, I mean, it's not, it's not like getting crazy, but I like what they're doing, you know, mm -hmm. because if you want, if you want that guy, I mean, I know that before, before, before the draft, they get together and they run numbers and all that. Let's compare this guy with this other guy. Okay. We got, we want this guy, but he, this one is close to this. Uh, this start okay but this guy can get better if he, because we have a good pitching staff down the, like coaching staff down there in the minors okay let's get this guy why don't we get both you know all that situation yeah but i, I yeah. support that mm -hmm. i really support that for people you know like me who are who do not play or coach baseball at any kind of high level uh and kind of more of an analyst type of role communication wise how do you suggest they better communicate with players with coaches because you know, Analysts on teams are often trying to communicate data across uh, across the line, so to speak, to coaches and players. What advice do you have for people who are trying to do that and, and do that better? I know for sure that uh, the analytics department, they have somebody in the middle or mm -hmm. nobody in the middle to communicate that uh, those numbers to, to the players or to the staff. I would just communicate uh, the simple stuff, you know, because I know for sure every year there's like three, four, five new metrics out there. Now, explain to me, explain to the to the players what this metric means, you know, and then why you trying, why you giving me that? Why do you want me to? Can you can you show me? Can you give me some proof? What am I doing? What am I doing wrong? I know for sure. Also, during the WBC, I was playing catch with a pitcher, uh, mainly pitcher, and then he told me, told me something that opened my eyes. He said. Dude, we have everything in our organization. Everything, like data, analy I mean, we have, but they don't know how to communicate it to us. Mm -hmm. And I've been playing that organization for like, he told me for like six, seven years, and they don't know. I mean, they have the people, but they don't know how to communicate that. They tell us what to do and this and that, but it's the same for us. Like, we don't understand that. Um, so and, and so they're not, like, they're not speaking baseball, so to speak. They're well, just kind of, throwing numbers at them probably they're trying to sound smart mm -hmm. you know instead of like hey dude you know what 
when you stay back and hit it to the other side, I think you you're doing better than pulling a rod. I think you cast or, or whatever. Just mm-hmm. talk more baseball, like mm-hmm. more baseball content, more baseball like because these guys, the many of these guys, you know, they only care about getting better every day. And and when you try when you try to communicate that, if you're trying to sound smart with them, I mean, it's gonna be you're not doing your your job yeah. and communication where you just told me i mean it's very important and this you know and this uh this at that at that level of mm-hmm. baseball from sort of the the opposite angle how do what do you suggest coaches do to improve you know their understanding of the stats of the data and how it can help them do their job better you just do the do your homework you know mm-hmm. do your homework i mean if you know if you don't understand what you're reading call somebody you know dm somebody and then do a zooming call with and then try to explain. I mean, there's so many free options on YouTube. But do your your homework right. if you want, you know, and then when when that time comes, you're gonna be able to communicate well with yeah. a I don't know, rookie or or I don't know, a all-star, you know, because a rookie can tell you, oh yeah, 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 I'll do that. Or all-star can ask you so many questions. You know, mm-hmm. but you got to do your homework and yeah. get better. I know you learned, you know, kind of taught yourself and learned some SQL and some other programming languages. What prompted you to do that? How has that helped you as a coach? Well, um, back in 2018, I just want to get better back in 2018 because um, when I was let go by the Astros, I'm like, man. Am I that smart or no? Do I need to get better? <laughs> There's a lot of competition. Okay, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm going to get better. So I contact Andy Andres from the Boston University. Mm-hmm. I email him. And then he said, uh, I have a program online. You can just watch it. I'm not going to grade you. Just watch it. Watch it. And I did some SQL uh, online co- courses. I haven't done SQL like in a couple of years. But if I get... If I get back on it, I mean, I can do it. And um, it's like a, it's like when I when I learned that, I feel like I was ahead of more people. You know, like the ones that they only want to throw, but in practice and and hit fungos and that's it. I'm like, okay, I can throw BP. I can hit fungos. I can catch 95 plus uh, miles per hour fastballs, and also I can do some computer work. That's mm-hmm. a plus for me. And right. that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I that's what I tell people right now. They ask me, hey, do you think you're the best pooping catcher out there? I'm like, I think so. Why? Because I know how to do this and that. And also I'm bilingual. Oh, and that's a plus, I'm, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And whatever hell, whatever, whatever helps you to get to the next level to the highest level. I mean, uh, I recommend you do it. I mean, it takes a couple of weeks to get online and learn. And then if you don't understand, just write an email and ask for questions, ask for answers, look for answers and et cetera, et cetera, you know? Yep. You mentioned the <clears throat> Boston University thing. You're advising students on a makings of a baseball player course. What is What does that involve? What sort of things are you advising students to do there? And that comes with Andy Andres because he uh, he te- he texted me one day, like two months after I met him in Boston University, because I went to the Sabermetrics seminar mm-hmm. to talk to talk about JT Realmuto, the new version of catching back then in two thousand back in two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. And then he texted me, "Hey, can you get can you get um I'm gonna get you um this big screen in my my classroom so you can talk to the to my my students about baseball they're going to ask you questions how to get a baseball uh what they should do in order to get you know a good resume more knowledge about baseball and pretty much uh it's like a class like yeah. hey tomorrow we're gonna to have a guest uh we're gonna have carlos Muñoz, former mlb will catcher with astros but he's gonna have they're gonna to talk to you about a baseball topic and then at the end you're gonna you guys are gonna have questions for him and that's all, you know, it's nice. simple. I really, I yeah. really love it. Yeah. Let them pick your brain. Uh, yeah. A couple of kind of general type of questions. One, I'm curious if you see any difference between how like Latin Hispanic players want and use data differently 
than American players. Is there any sort of cultural difference there? Oh yeah, a lot. And what would that a look lot. like? Yeah, I mean the resources mm-hmm. down there. Um, I've seen in social media some um, some academies they have they even have Rapsodo down there, mm-hmm. but not everybody. I mean the 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 way a Dominican guy or the, or Venezuelan guy the way they work. It's like they get up every morning, they go to the beach and run sprints on the on the beach sand to get faster, mm-hmm. to get strong legs. And then after that, they, they hit a, a flat tire and then they lift weights, you know? And then they, they start, uh, scouts start watching these guys when they're like almost 14, not more, not, not 16. Now it's almost 14, you know? Now here in the States, and that's what I tell my youth guys, Dude, you guys have everything here. You have cages, indoor facilities, uh, uh, Repsoto, pig tracks. You got everything. When I came, when I came to, to this country thirty years ago, that was the first time I saw a T. Mm. I asked the guy, "What is that thing right there?" That's a T. And what do you do with that? You <laughs> pull the ball there, and you hit the ball. I'm like, "No way! This is right. great." You that's know, funny. but yeah, but that's a big difference right there. I mean. Uh, the economic situation in South America or in the Caribbean, I mean, it's that's the only way to get out of there. It's either mm-hmm. as a uh, baseball player, athlete, and, you know, those big bonuses. Right. It's flat. You get $4 million and it's flat. You don't have to pay anything to the government. Yeah. It's just for you. Yeah, so a lot, you know? it's just exposure more than anything. You know, in the U.S., you might grow up around these academies that have all the data and not as much in some other countries, I guess. Yeah, it's more like like a, a night test for this guy. I like this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he runs six five. He got some pop. He can hit. He runs. You know, and he got good hands. Here, yep. you know, you know the process down here, which is I'm, I I support the the American process. I su- completely support that process. But yeah. I mean, back then, back there, yeah, back there in Venezuela, or Dominican, Panama, Colombia. I mean. They they work with whatever they have in hands. So I have to ask, because I'm curious as much as anything, baseball has a long tradition in Venezuela, going back to, you know, Luis Aparicio and, and guys before that, and obviously plenty of stars now, Miguel Cabrera and Salvador Perez and Acuna and all these guys. Why is baseball so big in Venezuela compared to other South American countries where obviously soccer is more dominant? And uh, what, what's the difference there in Venezuela? Uh, Venezuela. Uh... When I was there playing, it was like everybody wanted to be a, wanted to be a big leaguer. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wanted to be in, on TV. Everybody wanted to sign that contract, wear the gear, and all of that. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, soccer is getting there too down in Venezuela, but baseball is the king right now. Mm. You know, back then, uh, my idol back then was. Uh, <laughs> Bobby Ramos. Mm-hmm. Bobby Ramos, the catcher. Yeah. I, I finally met him like three years ago at this uh, MLB play development program in Barrow Beach. He was, they, I mean, they find out he was my iron. They sent him on my, on my, in my, in my locker, next to my locker. Bobby Ramos, Cuban guy. Cuban, right? And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, he was my, he was, uh, he used to play for my hometown pro team. Okay. And yeah. So I don't know. I mean, baseball, Baseball down there, people jails, people scream, people will tell you, no, you your son sucks. Oh, my son is better than yours. Oh, let's go to <laughs> you. Let's take ground balls. Let's see who yeah. throws harder. Let's let's see who who runs faster. And I don't know. I miss that. Just now, part of the while, soccer, the part yeah, of the culture like, there. It's like you play domino down there. I don't like to play dominoes because if you play, you sit down, then you get jailed out by <laughs> any mistakes. And um here, no, here you got to baby all these kids because if you tell them something, you know, they got to, next thing you see is that a, a, a new station and your door like, hey, why are you yelling? You, hey, you know, you're going to get sued because I'm like, come on, I'm just trying to be, you know. But I mean, I love, I love my country. I mean, it's, yeah. um, every time I go there, last time I was there was in 2014. Everybody, every, every time I go there, um, I go to the ballpark and, and Western baseball, the atmosphere, the the music, the, the food is so different than than here. I mean, I will say Dominica is the king, like in right. that aspect, like they go crazy. But Venezuela has 
Yeah. They're stuff too. I mean, it's different baseball. One last kind of major question, just as we're, you know, as we're recording this, we're the day before opening day. A lot of rule changes this year that you know, you've seen spring training and whatnot. Is there any, how do you think these are going to affect catchers? You know, we talk about base runners and pitchers on the pitch clock and from a catching standpoint, how do these rule changes, how do you think they're going to impact catching? I think they're going to impact from their contract talks. Like I will, mm-hmm. I will say like, okay. Uh, and I think they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to talk about that. Like, yeah, I know, but there's, there, there's not new rules for in the game. So that's why it's affecting us. Like, okay, let's talk about contract. Back mm-hmm. then the, you know, I used to, I used to, I used to um, say more runs or I used to catch and get more strikes. Now it's not the same because of these rules. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's going to affect from that point. And um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really supporting all these rules out there. You know, you know what I really miss? Mm-hmm. Shortstop, ground ball on the, on the hole, shortstop goes, and took one to first base, everybody get off their seat, like, and the right. umpire goes, safe or out. I miss that. Yeah. I miss those plays. Yeah. We, we should get a little more, a little more this year with the, with the yeah, shift. Yeah, exactly. And then also the call from the the, the, the the umpire, even if he's on the edge or he was too low, strike three. Everybody mm-hmm. on this side disagrees. Every, this part of the field, <laughs> the ballpark agrees. I mean, that's what is baseball about. Yeah. That, you know? Some and of the... Now, now it's gonna be like the game is gonna be stopped, and then everybody, everybody's gonna be like, "Okay, what happened?" And then we'll continue. We'll go, and then you're gonna be like for five minutes asking right. yourself, "What happened?" Right. What Gotta happened? Make it fast. You know, yeah. Exactly. But what happened? I mean, I love, I love baseball. If you play three, three and a half, four hours, I'm gonna be there. Yep. And you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna tell you this story. Back in 2000. I don't know. I think it was like two years ago. I went to Florida. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays, they were still playing in Florida. Okay. The regular season was in Florida. Right. And then the Blue Jays played the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Gary Cole was throwing 98, 99 for like four or five innings. And and, and Gray, I think it was Gray, the lefty. I forgot the name of the, the lefty. Uh, the Sonny Gray? Jays. Sonny Gray? He's now Gray? With, he's now with, with Seattle. Um, last name Gray. John was Gray. Like, yeah, I will say it was Gray. Gray. He was throwing 96, 97 by the fifth inning. I called my wife. Hey, are you guys still around? Can you come and get me? It was so strikes, puff flies, uh, strike three, strokeouts, puff flies, grumbles. I'm like, man, where's where are the gappers? Where are like the singles? I mean, this is not like it used to be back then. You know, the chef, ground ball, there you go. They're going to score. No, the second baseman, like, in right field, out, you know. But, I mean, hopefully, I don't know if it's going to change or not, but hopefully it changed to some degree, you know. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Robbie Ray is the guy that we're trying to come up with. Robbie Ray. That's that's the guy. Robbie, Robbie. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let me wrap this up with a few of your favorites just to get a few quick things to get us out of here. What's your favorite number and why? It was, uh, it is still ninety six, and I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, when I was with the Astros, they gave me that number ninety six. Okay. And my my daughter, she she's a libero. She's still thirteen years old, libero, mm-hmm. and volleyball. She wears ninety six. And <laughs> for the WBC, I called the clubhouse guy. Hey, can I can I get ninety six? And they <laughs> gave me ninety six for some reason. I don't know. I, yeah. I like that number. That's good. Probably not a lot of demand for ninety six on the on exactly. the MLB side. So easy to get. Uh, I mean, he- I could. I mean, I'm not gonna call and hey, can I have twenty seven? It's not right. going to happen. Right. You know, yeah. my trials number. Yep. Yeah. You're, uh, you may have answered this already, but your favorite player as a kid when you were growing up, is it Bobby well, Ramos? It was, yeah. Bobby Ramos from my hometown, uh, pro team and, and the big leagues. I mean, mm-hmm. believe it or not, but it still is Jose Canseco. Ah, okay. I nice. don't know. <laughs> he, he was fun to watch. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that swing, like, like it was the, the type of guy, like see the ball swing hard. That's it. Yep. Swing hard. Swing hard, run fast, big muscles. Yeah, no yeah, fun to 40, watch 40, the kid for 40, sure. 40, yeah, 40, 40. Uh, favorite catcher, like in today's game, you like to watch, like he's catching the game, you kind of get excited. You're like, all right, this is going to be a fun one. JT. Real Mudo. Yeah, I mean, when I went to the Seven Metric Seminar, 
it was because I was I, I was going to talk about the way he was catching and all that. Now, last week I was working with him. I mean, dreams come true. I was like, man, yeah. one day I'm gonna meet this guy. Not even I met the guy. I worked with him. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. so exciting. Yeah. I always enjoy picking brains on uh, food heritage. Is there a favorite Venezuelan specific food for you? Like you go home or you go to a Venezuelan restaurant, like this is the thing to get? Arepa with a lot of meat, a lot of uh, chicken. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, what, I mean, what is it, it exactly? It's like um, they call it chalupa. I mean, hey, are you eating? No, it's not chalupa. Get out of here. It's like, <laughs> it looks like a chalupa or whatever, okay. like like tortilla. And then you put a lot of beef or chicken inside and yeah. cheese and that's it. Nice. I mean, I mean, my daughter, she eats two every day, That's big ones. She loves yeah. that with cheese. Yeah. All right. And yeah. uh, finally, you mentioned you're the bullpen catcher with Astros and they won the World Series in 2017. Is there a favorite thing that happened to you or you got to do after winning that World Series? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I have more friends. <laughs> People start calling more, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I had this guy calling me back, asking for the those five World Series baseballs signed by the Astro. I'm like, dude, what's going <laughs> on? I told you no from the beginning. No, but it was exciting. You know, it was more like when you get to that to that level, like playoff and then World Series, it, you get so stressed. Everything have like you end the game at 12 and then you got to be early in the, in the ballpark, tired, and then the, the show must go on. I was so tired, so stressed. My body was in pain, and then all of a sudden it's over. We won, and then okay, let's go home. <laughs> let's go home. I told my wife it's over. Let's go home. Yeah. I'm tired because it, it was. Too, I mean, I'm a Twitter guy. I see John Heyman talking about all oh, the Dodgers, the Dodgers, the Dodgers. I'm like, come on, dude. Or oh, Yankees, Yankees. Like, come on. And then we beat the the Yankees, and then we beat uh, the Dodgers. You know, whatever happened back then. Is oh well known, but right. whatever happens, and it was over, and then let's go home now. Let's rest. Yep. Yeah. Good. Good story. Always nice to end with a ring. So Carlos Munoz, uh, catching coach, bullpen catcher for Team USA, Astros, etc. Thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Thank you for having me, Paul. Thank you. True Media Studios. I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Carlos Munoz for joining us on the show. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Carlos96Munoz for more behind-the-scenes pictures and stats from his baseball life. Joined now by producer Sergio De La Esprilla. Sergio, welcome to the show. I know you've got some food takes here. What are your takeaways from this conversation with Carlos? Oh, yeah. Um, listen, as, as a resident, as, as the resident Colombian-American at True Media, I feel it's my <laughs> It is my cultural duty to inform the general public um, that while Carlos was 100% right that, um, you know, Venezuelan arepas um, have that style, they're kind of like, they're not chalupas, like what he was saying. No, they're not. But they are kind of sandwich-like where mm -hmm. you think of like a pita and you can fill it up with different things. And listen, they are delicious. I've had them before. It is like a beautiful um, sandwich filled with whatever meat that you like, just with arepas instead of um and arepa instead of bread right. as a colombian american though and mm -hmm. specifically uh whose family comes from barranquilla uh the arepas that we eat are completely different than the venezuelan ones and okay. i just in this friendly war between colombian and venezuelan arepas have to inform the public that the colombian at least the the barranquilla <laughs> coast way i think is the superior they they have the sandwich but for us it's more like a think of like a super small pancake where, uh -huh. you know, the it's they can come in all different sizes, but traditionally, at least the way my mom makes them, which is always going to be my preferred way. Of course, um, it's this little, you know, they they're not a quarter, not a half dollar, but, you know, think of like a like a coaster, you know, yeah. the coaster amount Silver size. dollar pancakes. Yeah. Exactly. Smaller. But yes, in that way. Um, and then you put warm butter on them. You put, you know, you toast them on the stove a little bit, maybe a little bit of salt. And then you put butter again on top when you're at the table. Oh, just chef's kiss. Fan. <laughs> now now I can't wait to go visit my mom in May. Right. I, I'm coming over. I'm coming over for dinner. So yes, uh, yes, on, I will let her know. Semi-related note: 
I got to try pupusas for the first time. I was down mm. in Orlando for U.S. El Salvador, and we got some pupusas on set, and they were delicious. Go. I love that every Central American country, South American country has their own kind of unique dish. Yeah, that, they're all similar. You know, they it's, are. Look, it's bread and meat and whatever else you're putting it, on. There's it. only so many ways to cook right. rice and beans. Like, let's be realistic here. But they're all great. Like, Absolutely. and everyone's so proud of them. So it's it's great to be able to try it all these different things and it's part of what makes I have friends that don't understand why when I go to a Colombian restaurant I'll order red beans but when I go to mm-hmm. a Cuban restaurant I'll order black beans and they're like aren't they just beans and I go no no they're, they're made differently they taste different yes and just the the whole nostalgia of it all of eating Colombian food versus Cuban food which are the two main things that I grew up eating in South Florida <laughs> yeah um my yeah grandma from Puerto Rico mm-hmm. raised or Grew up in Miami. Didn't grow up, but moved to Miami when she was a teenager. Anyway, black beans, rice, pork chops was the mm-hmm. Puerto Rican meal that she served to us. And so I am a black bean convert. And yes, you, you don't have to explain the difference to me. But it's okay. My my stepmom is El Salvadorian. So there's a lot of pupusas in this house. Mm-hmm. My, my mom, as I am, is Colombian. So I eat a lot of those Colombian arepas. And my girlfriend is Cuban. And so I get the black beans there. I'm just a multicultural hub Best of all the world here. That's what all I right. do. I'm not, I'm not sure how we got all there. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> Back to the conversation with Carlos. One thing I wanted to touch on, it's, you know, we talk about pitch framing. It's this huge thing in baseball that's come around over the last 10 years or so. And it's added a lot of value to catchers. We talked about JT Realmuto, whose defense and pitch framing is part of the reason he got big money contracts. And it's a real thing. It's valuable. You can kind of quantify it. How many runs is it worth? Things like that. And at the same time, five years from now, it might be irrelevant or at least different. You know, we don't know how automated balls and strikes, robot umps, whatever you want to call it, is going to play into it. But it's just wild to me that 10, 15 years ago, this was not something we could at least quantify. You would hear, you know, catchers handle pitchers better and things like that. Um, and now it, it could be something that doesn't even need quantifying. But I, I guess more than anything, I'm just interested to see how whatever happens with ABS and stuff, how that affects catchers, how it affects framing. Are there going to be ways you can trick the, ca- the cameras uh, or the, you know, the whatever defines the strike, how that works, et cetera. So I, I don't know, but it's just, it's a weird spot we're in where it's super important and it might not be at all. And it's one of those, like, are we going to get like, Hey, chap GPT, can you be an MLB ump? Like, is that, <laughs> what's the next step, you know? Uh, no, but with, with the robo umps, I'm just like you, I'm very curious. And you could kind of hear it in Carlos's voice. And, and when he was talking about how he is very unsure, just like the rest of us are. I mean, we're on the, we were recording this on March 29th, Wednesday, the day before opening day. You are now hearing this listener over a week or close to a week of now with the new MLB, with these new rules they're pushing. And just like what we're not unsure about the robo umps in the future, are we, you know, what's this new baseball going to look like? Personally, um, when we were out in Arizona, we were able to see a spring training game one day and we went to see a Team USA scrimmage the next day. And because the World Baseball Classic didn't have those new pitch clock and bigger bases and rules. It was a night and day experience in terms of the speed of the game, how um, how how involved and, and um, how much attention you have to pay so regularly reminds me of kind of a, a basketball game or a hockey game where when when there's a sequence going on on the mound, you can't really look away because you don't have as much time as you used to. You know, um, there's also the question of should we have these rules in October compared to, you know, during the playoffs compared to the regular season. So there's a lot of quirks to be worked out. I personally am excited about it. Um, at the end there, Carlos was talking about how there were certain things, you know, he kind of, um, dreams of, of, of baseball, of, 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 of a previous era, you know, of, of that, that magic and, and that excitement that there was once before. And unfortunately, that's just not the reality nowadays because of the, the way the game has evolved, the way society has evolved with having things be more immediate. And I think ultimately these rules are going to be good for the game. Um, I'm hoping that Carlos can also see those, you know, more offenses that he was talking about, uh, um, you know, wanting to we miss the single, you know, that we're going to get more stolen bases and, and stuff like that because of the bigger bases and such. So I'm very curious to see how those rules develop. And, you know, who knows, listener, maybe you can be listening to this and six days afterwards. <laughs> it's oh, it's a complete success. Yeah, great. Right. Awesome. Wonderful. You know, you never. Yeah, know. I feel like after a couple of weeks, we probably won't think about it much. One thing I'm just aesthetically on the aesthetic front looking forward to is kind of what he said, you know, you want to see the shortstop go in the hole, make the throw, um, that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, it will make it the game feel, especially if you're watching on TV, you know, when you see a ground ball, you're watching your traditional behind the pitcher camera, the ground ball is going a certain direction. 
you have the sense of where the fielders are or should be. And so many times it's like a hard ground ball up the middle. And in my head, at least I'm like, ah, oh, that's a base hit. And then, you know, there's somebody standing right there and there'll still be some of that because the shift obviously isn't going away completely, but, uh, I think it'll help, you know, no, no one really knows, but the pace of play, certainly, you know, I found myself just like, I miss pitches just because I'm not quite used to everything moving that quickly. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, it's an adjustment that I've watched like, Oh, we got, we're moving. We got to pay attention a little bit differently than we used to. I go back to last year when we had our company outing and we went up to Boston, just the non-engineers, and we saw a Red Sox game one day. And the next day we went to see a Woo Sox game in Worcester. And at the game, that was the first time any of us had experienced because they did that in the minor in the AAA last year. They put, had that pitch clock get tested out. And that was the first time any of us experienced it. And that was the big takeaway from that evening. Just, you know, talking amongst each other was, wow, how fast was that game? Like, is this what the new baseball is going to be like? And you know, I'm excited for, um, you know, having maybe a new demographic of fans, a new age group of fans, because baseball does trend to 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 have its audience cater and, and average to be a bit more um, in the 40s and 50s. And while that's perfectly fine now, because I still believe that to be a very young age, my dad doesn't that's believe right. me. I, I fully believe it. Age, your body will age, but old is a state of mind. That is my right. motto. So. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, I'm interested to see, can we get, like, I'm a baseball, I'm a sports nut. So, of course, I'm going to watch baseball. I, I, I love, you know, I love any sport. But can I get the casual 26-year-old, 27-year-old to buy in and be like, hey, there's, in Miami, hey, there's this guy, Jazz. You're going to love him. We got Sandy, one of the best pitchers in the league. Go and watch for that. Can we get those casual fans to go and that's going to be a big question, you know, and, and, and to tie it all together with what Carlos was saying, what, you know, his journey was so incredible. Can we access that like same love for the game that he had as a kid, but now with this younger generation, you know, everything, technology, things are going to constantly change and to continually harp on things for being not how quote unquote they used to be, I think is, isn't the solution. I think it's, the game adapts just as society adapts, just as culture adapts, just as technology moves forward. You know, we have to find a way to integrate these things properly. I'm excited for these rules to see how they go in. Um, and most of all, I'm excited, you know, for kids to fall in love with the game, just like Carlos did when he was in Venezuela. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, I think, I think, again, we don't know, but I think all these changes will eventually be almost forgotten, will become part of the game. And I think the end product will just be a little bit better a little bit more appealing it's not going to revolutionize the way baseball is treated in the u.s or loved or whatever it is but it helps and every little bit helps when you're trying to you know whether it's find market share from a business standpoint or just kind of keep your game going and, and build fans and whatever so I, th I think it'll be a good thing but you know by the time this comes out who knows we'll see all right. Thanks, Sergio. Thanks one last time to Carlos Munoz for joining us on the show. As always, please subscribe, rate, review the show on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We have a lot of baseball episodes in the archives, including Joe Holson, who just joined True Media from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And in Spanish, even, Sergio talked with Christian Perez, who was a Reds coach and just joined the Astros in their player development department. Share on social media, too, if you can. You can follow us on Twitter at True Media Sports, T-R-U Media Sports. You can give us feedback or guest suggestions there or email the show, expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com. On behalf of Sergio de la Esperia and everyone here at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world.